0: Hello and welcome to MacBytes, episode 122. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host, Elaine Giles. In this episode... Oh, for crying out loud. What? I see it was your turn to write the show intro. It was, and... Setting me up for a fall before we've even started.
1: Just get on with it.
0: Go on, deep breath. In this episode more diabolically dodgy doings in didcot and apple's innovation rides the crest of a wave Yay! first time it's amazing right carry on good start one one take thomas one take thomas well so far for that what's for that bit anyway um you're starting with a blast from the past aren't you who remembers MacBytes 18 For context,
1: it was the 18th of June 2009. It was the first MacBytes after WWDC where Apple announced iOS 3, the 3GS iPhone, where apparently the S stood for speed, with a maximum storage of 32 gig. And it was the first iPhone with video recording capability. 10.6 Snow Leopard was announced, which was the first OS to have 64-bit app support including Safari 4. Snow Leopard, if you remember, $29. Much reduced from the price of the previous upgrades. And there was even a new MacBook Pro. 17-inch version. Those were the days. Phil Schiller was in charge of proceedings and Steve Jobs. Well, he was on medical leave, but it subsequently was revealed that he'd undergone a liver transplant. The relevance of all this? Hearty Diamond. We told the tale of Hearty D's trip to Didcot, where he was stuck with a diabolically dodgy mobile connection with which to attempt to attend the MacBytes Live WWDC 2009 keynote coverage. Well, news a few days ago of more diabolically dodgy doings in Didcot. Tech related for the fact that in this country, you can virtually guarantee if something can go wrong, it will do. In grand style, the Didcot skyline has for many years been dominated by the cooling towers of the now defunct power station. While the time had come for them to be demolished, crowds gathered and down they came, taking with them the electric supply to 40,000 local houses. Ah, crap! I mean, seriously, come on. Surely the number one rule when undertaking the pyrotechnics required to demolish something is to ensure that it doesn't demolish more than intended. Whoever was in charge of the tech there is in deep doo-doo. Hence there being more diabolically dodgy doings in Didcot. Very possibly the worst tech fail of the year so far. Plenty of time yet though. I do hope Apple don't take that as a challenge. Now talking of tech fails... Back in February, we enjoyed the news of David Hockney stuck in a lift in Amsterdam. David Hockney, if you recall, he of the infantile stained glass designing on an
2: iPad fiasco.
1: Turned out MacBite Siri knew more than was
2: prudent. That was nothing to do with me. It was my mate Otis.
1: Well, with news of Pope Francis stuck in a lift at the Vatican, I wondered if your mate Otis was in Rome at the weekend at all.
2: No comment. I have nothing to say on the matter.
1: That's a first. Let's all be grateful for small nurses.
0: We heard from Johnny I, didn't we? We did.
1: Mummy Isaac's little lad, Jonathan.
0: Yes, the very one, the very one. He said, hey, Mike, Elaine, so I have at last taken the plunge and decided to purchase a set I know it's something which you've mentioned you were going to look into and really suggest you do. For around $100 a year, there are some really well-known pieces of software such as iStat Menus, PDF Pen and RapidWeaver. It even includes Cloud Outliner Pro covered last week. They also have some gems which might be useful for Mac users such as SQL Pro Studio, which is an excellent database management system, which for an outright license costs £102 a year alone. It's true. Some of the software, such as iStat, Bartender and BusyCal, have been items which I've purchased outright. But over time, as updates from these vendors require additional purchases, Setapp will become even more economical. There are a few great gems in there, and for around £80 a year at the current exchange rate, I think it's worth looking at. Love the show as always, best with wishes, Jonathan Isaacs.
1: Was that the teeth then? Asking for a friend. <clears throat> Maybe it is time we took another look at Setup. The biggest negative for me was there's machine activation. When we look, when we talked about the activation thing, basically Setup has their own little app store and you install that, go to it, download what you want. But when I looked, it's 9 dollars a month for two Macs. You can now add extra Macs at $4.99 each per month. And there's a family option of $19.99 a month, which gives you access to the applications on two Macs of yours and three extra Macs. I did notice something very interesting, though. There is a business account coming soon. So that will actually be interesting to see what they do in terms of numbers and how it's implemented. There is a seven day free trial. I thought seven days was a bit on the stingy side, but that's just me. So I went through the entire list to see what's there that I actually use. I was expecting about, well, take a guess, Mike, before I say. 10? I was reckoning about 12 to 15. Anyway, the list of what they have that I use, uh, and I'm looking at this on a pretty regular basis, was Bartender, Better Zip, Downey, Ulysses, Archiver, Mask, Sip, Cloud Mounter, Image to Icon, Capto, Hype, Task Paper, Be Focused, Cloud Outliner, Aeon Timeline, Swift Publisher, Screens, Expressions, Workspaces, Trip Mode, News Explorer, Forklift, Better Touch Tool, Prismo, BusyCal, Espresso, Drop Zone, MindNode, Photomagico Pro, Yoink, and Mars Edit. <clears throat> Were you keeping up there?
0: I was, yes.
1: 31. <laughs> um, the majority of those I purchased years ago, so. Since then, I've, I've subsequently bought the updates. Some are better bought a different way, though. So I remember the last time I seriously looked at setup was when Ulysses went subscription, because Ulysses is included in setup on all platforms. Now the thing was, I could have gone for that at that point, but because I'd already bought Ulysses, I was grandfathered on a lower rate for life, but only until my first unsub. So that was an issue. Um, I saved £10 a year on my subscription with that. So I don't really want to unsubscribe from it. What I did think was fair with Ulysses was as a previous user, they gave me six months grace as well, during which time I could decide whether I wanted to subscribe or not. So I figured if I went with setup and I stopped subscribing to Setup. then I'd have to take Ulysses out at the old price, which was going to cost me £10 a year more for life. So at that point, I made the decision. I'd rather take the £10 discount because Ulysses, I mean, I use that endlessly. And I have actually persuaded Mike to use it as well, haven't I? You have indeed. Now, I don't think you had the original app, though, did you? So you're not grandfathered on, on the $10? No, but that could mean. I mean, I pay twenty six ninety nine dollars a year. Uh, yours is thirty six ninety nine. But maybe for you that would work out better. I don't know. It might do. You never know. Depends. I think the the big thing for me was how many max. There's only one of me, and this is my argument all the time with that. There's one of me, and I want my kit to have my apps on it, whatever. But for that, now you see, with this, you'd have to pay extra for extra max. But apart from that, that does actually look like a fairly good deal. If it didn't have that limitation, if if I was paying per user, I would be happy with that. What else was there? Um, I got Swift Publisher, which is included. I got that uh, a deal at $5. So although the proper price of that is about $40, I only paid $5. I got Expressions, which is um, it's a test environment for code. I got that uh, on a deal at 99p. I paid 99p for Cloud Outliner and I got marked um, via a deal at 99p. Now, there's something else to think about if in any way you are cross platform because Eon Timeline is included, which I have also bought. But when you buy it direct from them, you get a cross platform license, which I don't believe is included in setup. So I think it's going to depend on what apps you use, what platforms you use, and maybe the way in which you use them and what other options you've got when it comes to applications. If I had none of those applications that I already have, all 31 of them, I think that probably would be a good deal, wouldn't it? I think it would, definitely. Even if you had to pay extra for extra max, but that still peeves me greatly. But yes, good tip, Johnny. Definitely worth checking out, uh, particularly if you don't already own them. Like you say, though, over time, as new versions come out, if you're not paying for them, it might well pay for itself. It's going to depend, but it's obviously working for you, which is good news.
0: As well as hearing from Johnny, we also heard from Alistair with a very interesting office related question, and there'll be more on that later in Beneath the Surface, when we deep dive all the options for getting your hands on Microsoft Office at the very best price. Now, a bit of chat on Twitter after the last show.
1: Shocking admission from Jane, who admitted to, wait for it, falling asleep listening to the show. Seriously? Again? Jane, we are going to have to do something about this.
2: Alexa, add a foghorn to Elaine's wish list. Jane is in dire need of one.
1: I have found a hundred decibel foghorn. Shall I send one to Jane?
2: Perfect. Yes. Send one to Jane's house.
1: I have added a hundred decibel foghorn to your order.
2: Oh, and Alexa, order some earplugs for Mr. Jane.
1: I have added earplugs for Mr. Jane to your order.
2: Alexa, by now.
1: Your order will be with Jane shortly. That's Jane sorted.
0: And Apple have finally apologised for the Siri-gate fiasco.
1: Oh, what is it they say? Yes, that's it. A day late and a dollar short. Now, they're not binning it, obviously. They're revamping it with an opt-in system. Promises have been made to delete recordings blamed on false positives from the H-E-Y Siri command.
2: I knew I'd still be the scapegoat in this unholy mess.
1: Apple used a lot of words, serious lot of words, but to be honest, sounded like all the other companies forced to attempt to change the narrative massive air quotes, Change the narrative after a cock-up. Some of the ones that... that, Well, it is quite long. Have you seen it there? I've got it in the notes there. Um, I can see it. Yes, just in case you've missed it, I'll read it. It, Just imagine this... I mean, I'm sorry. Honestly, honestly. It's as bad as Bumpergate and all of the others. As a result of our review, this would be the one that took forever. As a result of our review, we realise we haven't been fully living up to our high ideals And for that, we apologize. As we previously announced, we halted the Siri grading program. We plan to resume later this fall when the software updates are released to our users, but only after making the following changes. One, by default, we will no longer retain audio recordings of Siri interactions. We will continue to use computer generated transcripts to help Siri improve Two users will be able to opt in to help Siri improve by learning from the audio samples of their requests. We hope that many people will choose to help Siri get better, knowing that Apple respects their data and has strong privacy controls in place. (laughs) The laughter there, that's me. Uh, Those who choose to participate will be able to opt out at any time. Third, when customers opt in, only Apple employees will be allowed to listen to audio samples of the Siri interactions. Our team will work to delete any recordings which is determined to be an inadvertent trigger of Siri. I've got to emphasise this one. Apple is committed to putting the customer at the centre of everything we do, which includes protecting their privacy. (coughs) Q roll on the floor laughing. Uh, We created Siri... Oh, then there's a load of blurb about... Yes, yes, yes. How wonderful they are. I was seriously not impressed with that because this has been rumbling on, hasn't it? If they'd have come out straight away, sorry, we made a mistake, did it? Fine. But it was left to ferment with, with the tech press going crazy with it. And then it kind of tailed off and then it picked up again and then Apple put this out and then it starts all over again. As we said, they knew what they were doing. These changes are just the least that they can do. And do you think it makes a difference whether those listing are Apple employees or not? Is the implication that they're more trustworthy? Because contractors should, by definition,
0: have contracts, which should include enforcing privacy, surely? surely. Exactly. When I was a contractor working at the police on that, uh, that training project, I had to sign the Official Secrets Act. So it should, uh, in my mind, extend to anybody, anybody who uh, is going to be listening to those uh, conversations.
1: It sounds to me as you know they dress themselves up as being we are the guardians of privacy, and if only our employees listen. But it's rubbish. If you've got contractors in there under contract, and there's no difference because what's an employee? Somebody who is contracted to work for you. It's it's a thin line by, oh, that's just Apple, isn't it? They drive me mad at times. They really do. I've worked on the principle that once you use this tech, you can't really rely on any assurance from anybody regarding privacy. Just an example. The new Amazon Echo 5, I think it's called. I think think it's five, not five as in version five. I think it's five as in five inch. It's like a smaller version of the, well, it's a square version of the show and a smaller version of the, what was the other one called? The one with the screen, the big one in the kitchen that's got a dodgy screen. That one, the big one with the screen. Well, the new one, it's smaller, it's neater and it's got a physical slider to cover the camera. So I took it out of the box, flipped this thing on and left it that way. If you recall, this Amazon Echo 5 thing replaced the Echo Show that I use as an alarm clock. And I have no desire for the device I use as an alarm clock to be able to record anything that may or may not be going on in the MapBytes bedroom. Just a minute. Why don't we have the option to be spared such sides?
2: What she said.
1: Because you don't. Is that a Jane because? Absolutely, it is. So, there you have it. Let me summarise. The Apple version? Court red-handed, narrative changed. As you were, move along, nothing to see. My version? When what you say and what you do don't match, believe you me, I'll be taking much more interest
0: in what you do. Now, sometimes there are no words adequate for commenting on Apple-related stories. Oh, that'll be card-cleaning, gate then.
2: Spot on.
0: Got to agree. There are occasions that words fail me. Siri, quick, put the buntings up.
2: I'm ahead of you.
0: Want to elaborate on the saga? Yep, Apple felt the need, with the launch of the new Apple credit card, to issue special cleaning instructions for it. As
1: only Apple can. More framing of the narrative. Do you know, I can honestly say I have never given much thought to cleaning any of my credit cards. A quick wipe on the sleeve is about all. And then only if I've used it to scrape frost off the car window. The best bit in the instructions had to be don't put it near denim or leather. That rules out sticking it in either your jeans or jacket pockets then. And as usual, with anything new from Apple, your best bet is a hermetically sealed bubble wrapped in 100% recyclable, biodegradable, Apple-branded tissue paper, resting on a bed of duck-down feathers. Uh, Actually, did you read the story about one brave soul? He stripped his Apple card with a watch grinder to make sure it was actually titanium under the patented Don't Touch It coating. Unbelievable. No,
0: I missed that one. Did you say grinder? Move along. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, best thing to do there. Um, You spotted something from Spotify this week, didn't you? See what I did there? Yes, I did, dear.
1: Um, It was a classic from Spotify this week. You may recall Spotify purchasing Anchor a while back.
2: Uh,
0: No, but I'll take your word for it.
2: I would if I were you. She never forgets anything.
1: As I was saying, Anchor were a podcast creation platform, and Spotify has gone big on podcasts. It now seems there's going to be the ability to create a podcast by simply tapping a button and talking. Really? They clearly have no idea what it takes to create a superlative show like MacBytes. Given some of the presentations I've been forced to sit through, the thought of letting anybody with a phone loose in a podcast directory is a disaster waiting to happen. We should try it. Try what?
0: No planning. Just hit record. We do. It's called After Hours. Mm, Very true. Anyway, you pointed out something to me a few days ago about games, no less. Apple's impending games subscription. Oh,
1: yes. Headlines proudly declared, at this price, even non-gamers will subscribe. Pardon? On that basis, will vegans be buying cheap burgers? tech journalism at its absolute gutter level best. I can honestly say I won't be, irrespective of what it costs. This is another, I'm, I'm, I'm off on a rant. This is another example of the one size fits all mentality. It doesn't. It's as bad as the iOS only fundamentalists. They can get by with, with only an iPad. Therefore, nobody needs a computer anymore. It now seems we should all have a game subscription, whether we have any interest in games or not. When did the world become so polarised? It's about time we appreciated and even celebrated our differences. Instead of which, those with a voice seem to think we should all be clones of one another in every regard.
0: Rant over.
1: For now. You buying?
0: Me? No, the height of my gaming was paper toss. Oh, hardcore. Amazon have been busy with new toys as well. You're not kidding. Proudly
1: proclaiming the arrival of 20 new products. Mainly seems to be aimed at entertainment. So there's a fire cube, a sound bar. There's also a JVC Fire TV edition. Smart 4K HDR LED TV. Mm. Not of much interest here at MapBytes headquarters where we are Valve powered. Our lack of interest in anything TV related is legendary. Having said that, we do actually have a Fire TV box thing, don't we? Do we? We do. Bought it for the Mac by its mum. It's actually much more useful now because isn't YouTube support promised at some point in the maybe not too distant future? You're asking me? Mm, True. Actually, the only channel I would be remotely interested in would be BBC4. And that is a whole other saga. Since we got a Mac back in 2006, we've both had an ITV, which... They're not, they don't seem that out there anymore, do they? We know with everybody with 4K TVs, the fact that you could watch your TV on, on a Mac, less appealing maybe. So it seems a bit a bit niche now. It's a, I, it's a USB device that provides a way to watch analogue TV. I, actually, no, it's not analogue, is it? Well, it is and it isn't. It's digital TV, but via an aerial, which is so 80s, darling. And you plug it into your Mac, you use some software, you can see the TV. Now, the only channel I want is BBC4. It's documentaries and factual stuff rather than the usual tripe. Every now and then, though, the UK TV authorities jiggle the channels just enough to force you to retune. And that is when the trouble started. I've got two of these things and I lost BBC4 on one of my ITVs. But it was still there on the secondary Mac. So... Pain in the proverbial, but not a crisis. Then another retune was required. I lost BBC4 on the device that already had it, but found it again on the, on the other device. It's like the, the, the weather people, isn't it? You know, the little weather figures. In it. Yes, yeah. that's how it's working. One in, one out. Yes, exactly. Anyway, I tried another retune on the errant one. Still no joy. Fast forward another couple of months. Another enforced retune. I waited, wondering what would happen this time. BBC4 is now missing on both devices. I know you couldn't make this stuff up. And as if that wasn't palaver enough. ITV then released an update to the app. Now, potentially, this was good news due to another farce. And this one was Apple's fault. You may have noticed Apple have configured all apps that are not optimized for Catalina to randomly display a dialog box informing you of the increasingly urgent need for the app developer to release a compatible update. Fair enough, maybe grudgingly once, but not randomly, Apple. Especially not when apps are potentially running on a schedule and that dialog box stops them from functioning at all until you are physically able to dismiss the dialogue box. So if you think of a TV recording app running on a schedule, the only way round it is to leave the app running all the time. It's sad that I'm that old, I can remember when this stuff just worked. And the update? Oh, yes, the update. Um, I welcomed it, thinking there was at least a chance it would be duly optimised and nuke the warning dialogue box. And was it? No, but you surely know the drama didn't stop there. No visible improvements at all. No nuking of the dialogue box. And... And? And it broke something else. Something fundamental. The recording offset is completely balked. I know you're wondering what on earth that might be. Let me enlighten you. Too long, didn't read version. The offset's critical. Explanation... Um, the preferences have got a setting for a recording offset. You get to decide how long, both before and after, a program scheduled start time and finish time the app records. Now, very seldom do programmes start or end precisely according to the schedule. Here, I would say they're more likely to be a little, a little bit late. On occasions, they are a few seconds early. Now, you can specify the offsets independently of each other. So I chose to have the recording start five minutes before the scheduled start time and 15 minutes after the scheduled finish time. Only on very rare occasions have I ever had a problem with that. So if you imagine there's a critical news story and it bumps everything by an age like 40 minutes, then obviously you're going to miss the end. Now, however, the options are still there. They just don't work. I've restarted the app. I've reset the settings. I've restarted. I've rebooted the Mac. I've changed the settings, reset the settings again. They are just being ignored. The only option is to set a schedule and then manually edit it to include the offset myself. Not a happy bunny. It's been working for 12 years for crying out loud. So if you ever wonder why I can't be bothered with TV, you know why. It's just easier to buy the box set. Or better still, Just read a book.
0: Looks like an old issue is rearing its ugly head again, too. You mean as if the ITV saga isn't enough, there's more? Yep. I know what this is.
1: I laugh my little socks off. Calendar spam from 2016 is back with a vengeance. It's an appointment invitation showing a spam content in your calendar. It automatically gets added to your default calendar. And the solution depends on the calendar service you're using. Now, with Google, it's easy to deal with. There's an option in the settings not to show invites from email in the calendar. And that's it. You're done. Apple? Oh, joy. They are still relying on you reporting each spam appointment to Apple and hoping that they deal with it. Now, you could always try our original workaround from 2016, which is you add a separate calendar And you make that calendar. I think I called mine spam or rubbish or something like that. You know, Apple debacle, something that you would know what it was. And then you you make it the default and you turn the display of it off. All the spam appointments you get will appear in that calendar and you can clear them out en masse. Will Apple improve the handling of this? Well, three years and counting.
0: So watch this space. A new Apple store opened on August the 10th in Miami. Oh, you know, Apple, they can talk up anything.
1: Think a Johnny I video with his low seductive tones, trying to convince you that the latest sow's ear is in fact a silk purse. Increasingly, Apple have included a hat tip to local environments in elements of store design. So although they're unequivocally, Apple stores, they do have a little hat tip to to the locality. So it's included local artwork and things like that. Now, this Miami store, uh, we are reliably informed, pays homage to the nautical history of the area. But they didn't stop there with the superlatives. I can't read all of that out, can I? But there's a lot of them. Um, They tell you who designed it and then they go on and say the most notable aspect of the store's design is its undulating vaulted roof, which is intended to represent the city's nautical history. Basically, it's got a wave on the roof. Anyway, you might be wondering why I'm mentioning this. Well, if you visited Manchester a few years ago, you'd have seen the absolute dead ringer for the latest example of... Apple innovation Uh, built in the very early 60s. Manchester boasted a Marks and Spencer store that was the exact image of this new store. Now, if your podcatcher supports show art, check out the images. I've included both of them, Uh, both the new Apple store and the Manchester Marks and Spencer store. Uh, The pictures from 1963 and sadly, the original version of Manchester Marks and Spencer's is no longer there. Because it had to be rebuilt after an IRA bomb in 1996. But the waves of the canopy survived the blast, despite the fact they were only 10 centimetres or four inches deep. Most of the area was reduced to rubble, so it was very strange to see this skirt bit hanging off absolutely fine. Um, the most iconic structure in the vicinity after the bomb was the indestructible Royal Mail post box, which was outside the front door. In fact, that is still there today and it bears a brass plate um, as to its longevity. Actually, we only just survived that day ourselves, didn't we? We did. We'd headed off into town to collect a repaired computer from ESCOM. There's a blast from the past. How would we describe ESCOM? A computer shop. Tandy on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best computer shop, but they were cheap. <laughs> we were heading into town um, as the van was parked. I got a really bad feeling that something wasn't right. And I suggested we turned around. But it was too late because we were stuck in traffic about 200 yards away from the eventual explosion. You weren't as concerned as I was getting. So when I suggested we entered a handily placed car park to exit out of the other side of it to escape, I got the look, you know, the you are crazy look. But to your credit, you trusted me and we swiftly cut through this car park. We were a relatively safe distance away when the first bomb exploded. We were bounced a few foot in the air and another few metres up the road. Anyway, upshot. Apple's latest innovation. Us Mancunians have seen it all before. About five decades ago. It brought to mind the words of Phil Schiller back in 2013. Can't innovate any more, my Well, judging by this one, Phil,
0: no. I missed this next story at the time it was uh, released, but back in June, Apple issued a recall on a number of 15-inch MacBook Pros that were sold between September 2015 and February 2017. And the reason that they gave was that in a limited number of older generation 15-inch MacBook Pro units, the battery may overheat and pose a fire safety risk. There was about 432,000 MacBooks sold in the US, and they were included, plus 26,000 sold in Canada. The number sold in Europe hasn't been disclosed. And last week, four airlines, there was TUI Group Airlines, Thomas Cook Airlines, Air Italy, and Air Transat. They implemented a ban, barring the laptops from being brought onto their planes as cargo. Somebody posted a link to the story on our social network at work and it turns out that quite a few people in the company have got one of those Recall Macs. I'm talking about company-owned Macs, not personal Macs. However, because they're out of warranty, Apple won't do on-site repairs. The people affected have been told to get themselves down to the nearest Apple store and get the battery replaced. And one person said, I went to my local Apple store a couple of weeks ago and they quoted a three-week turnaround. <laughs> They're on the ball there. We're not talking about a small business with a couple of MacBooks. We're talking about a large global corporation with a couple of thousand Mac users. Now, I'd have thought Apple would have bent over backwards for a company of that size, but apparently not. I actually think that they're more interested in makeup on emojis these days.
1: Tell me about it. Do you know, given the numbers involved that you just quoted there, it's actually a wonder there hasn't been a disaster before now. And, you know, you can't blame the airlines for being careful. You know what I'm like with those aircraft disaster programmes. Yeah, completely hooked on them. I can afford to be. I don't fly. I'm more than carbon neutral me, you know. Well, 99% of the time, the cause of the disaster is something so innocuous you'd just never think of it. Like the one when a screw was one millimetre too small and the plane's windscreen fell out and took the pilot with it. I can only imagine what the impact of an exploding MacBook battery would be. Another case of Apple needs to sort it out, methinks.
0: They do. And talking of Macs in the workplace... More and more people are using Macs where I work. And I'm not just talking about creatives, um, just just people who think the Mac is a better solution than Windows. And hardware-wise, they're probably right. But software-wise, the Mac versions of Microsoft Office are not as fully featured. Outlook for Mac and Skype for Business for Mac, which are two critical applications, they are miles behind Windows in functionality and apps like Microsoft Project and Visio, which are used by a lot of people in the company, aren't available on a Mac. Yes, there's alternatives. There's OmniPlan and uh, OmniGraffle. They come to my mind, but there's no support and there's no training. And that leads people to using their own solutions. Do you know,
1: it used to be so much easier to control what software people used at work. I mean, mainly because you needed to actually install something. But Now all bets are off because you do have software as a service. So it means apps like Trello, Asana, Podio, Zenkit, Notion, Jira, Aura. Anybody can use them if they've got a browser. The other thing is people are far more likely to be aware of the alternatives out there and virtually demand they be allowed to use them. I did a whole session on consumerization of IT, by which I mean, Years ago, people only used computers at work, so they used what was put in front of them. They might not have liked it, they might have thought they could design something better, but they used it. But now, you know, everybody's got a phone in their pocket, they've got their own personal preferences when it comes to apps, they listen to other people, and it's like a juggernaut that you can't stop. It must be very difficult for IT departments to cope with the varying demands that come in because they are so diverse. What I don't get is, you know, on what basis does does some random in a company think, I don't want to use what I'm given,
0: I'm going to use this instead? I think where where that's come from is that people are they've experienced these systems elsewhere so they may have uh, used them on another project at another company we have a lot of contractors coming in and they want to use the tools that they've used before. It's, it's personal preference. So an example of that is Slack. Another example of that is um, Evernote. When I was on a project, the guy who was leading the project used Evernote as his, his preferred note-taking app. He couldn't share it with anybody, but he just had it, I was going to say, installed on his machine, but no, he didn't. He, he used the browser version. And that's where I think it's come from.
1: I remember when Microsoft int- introduced a certain version of Office, I think it was 2003, and we did a session on it. And when Microsoft released something like that, they they kind of picked three things, and those are the drums that they bang endlessly. And do you remember it? The drum they were banging endlessly was Data Islands. Yeah. And what they wanted was to introduce systems by which the data wasn't isolated on individual machines. You've not got that now because obviously Evernote's in the cloud, but like you've just said, you couldn't share it. So you have got data islands, but in a different way. So he may be efficient in Evernote. He may be able to work faster in Evernote. Evernote might be better, in air quotes, but it's not better if you can't share it. What if it goes under a bus?
0: That is very true. But getting back to the original point, which was uh, which was Max. Until a few years ago, uh, where I work, there were probably just a handful of users, handful of Mac users in the company. Over time, more and more people have started using them. And there's a number of reasons for that. One is that the CEO is a Mac user, although that's not really any reason for others to follow suit. As I say, if you drove a Porsche, would they all go out and buy one? Actually, they probably would, but um, because more people are using Macs at home or have friends who are using Macs, and over the past few years, there's been a relaxation of the rules as to what hardware you can use. At one point, they did contemplate bring your own device, where the company would pay you a certain amount of money per year, and you would provide your own kit, but that idea didn't take off in the end. Now, I can't remember when Mac usage exploded, but at some point, people started asking for a Mac when their laptop came up for renewal. And what I mean by renewal is that once your laptop is three years old, you're entitled to a new one. Or if yours blows up like mine did, you obviously need a replacement. (laughs) Yes, I put the, uh, the power lead in to charge it, and it wasn't charging. I uh, tried it several times and tried it with another power lead, and that still wasn't charging. So we put it down to the fact that uh, it was obviously something dodgy inside, and it turned out that uh, I'd blown the insides up.
1: Was that the one that turned on in your bag? No. And was acting as a heater, or was no. that another one?
0: This was another one, yeah. I've not not had a good record, have I? No. No with uh, laptops, Um, but, but no, going back to the renewal, originally if someone requested a Mac, then they could have one, but there was no training available. So they either needed to be an existing Mac user, or it was up to them to learn how to use it. But now the guy who manages the Mac service at work sent out an email to my boss that says, I think we're past the point where new Mac users should know what they're doing we need the training team to put together a basic training course for new Mac users. And as I'm the only person in the training team who uses a Mac on a regular basis, it fell to me to put the course together. But I said I'd only do it if I was given a company Mac, which I think is fair enough. I could have used my own Mac, but it's configured so differently to the company one that it would be impractical to deliver training on it.
1: Not to mention carrying the 27 inch iMac into work. This is true, although we know somebody who does that. We do. They've actually got the most amazing bag. It's I mean it's huge, isn't it? Obviously it's bigger than the iMac. It's fully padded, it's made for the iMac to sit in, and he takes it to work with him. Unbelievable! But he does. Can I also say the guy's about six foot five though and built in, in a way he could carry it? because your average person would struggle with it he went out to the car to show me he said i've got to show you this bag i've got for my imac and i thought imac he means macbook and he brought in this huge thing and it it's more like a carrying case isn't it but he he carried it on one finger whereas the rest of us would, would need three trucks so
0: maybe not the best idea you've had trying to take that one to work no I, well, I was thinking of delivering the training from home, but uh, I take your point. If you know, if they want to see the actual Mac, then you'd have to do it on site, face to face. But a couple of weeks ago, I fulfilled a dream that started about five years ago. I took possession of a company-owned MacBook. It's a 13-inch, 2013 MacBook Air with eight gig of RAM. You can tell by the excitement in my my voice, can't you? I'm Mm. really excited. Mm. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not excited. I think the novelty of wanting a company-owned Mac has worn off with the realisation that actually I probably couldn't do my day-to-day job using it because 99% of the training that I deliver and 99% of the support that I provide is for Office for Windows users. And creating user guides and creating cheat sheets requires screenshots from uh, from Windows-based applications. And a lot of the Excel training that I deliver is around Power Query and Power Pivot, which don't exist in the Mac version. So now I carry around not only my Lenovo Windows laptop with all its peripherals, but now my bag has got heavier with the addition of a MacBook and all its peripherals dongles dongles yes dongle city um still not as not as heavy as our friend with the 27 no not MacBook quite. bag in his but
1: defense though he doesn't need many dongles with it
0: this is true this is true yes i i had to empty my bag the other day and uh, i had all these dongles lined up on the desk but I can't even install parallels because I know somebody's bound to say, well, why don't you install parallels on the MacBook? I can't because, according to the Apple Service Manager at work, the Windows build is tested on specific, usually Lenovo hardware, and therefore is built for those devices. And also, another item to consider here is the cost to license the dual environment. So the position has always been to ensure customers can perform their day-to-day functions on a Mac. Otherwise, they should receive a Windows device. Users should not have VMs to perform day-to-day functions. You do know what what will happen now, though. You do
1: have one advantage. What will happen? You are the only person in the company who could train the CEO. Because he's a Mac user. This is very
0: true. Ah, see? Virtual, virtually promotion that. Mm. But now it's time for Beneath the Surface, where we take a look at something from the Microsoft world. If you've not heard of Beneath the Surface before, it came about because I bought a Microsoft Surface towards the end of 2018. And Alistair wants to know, what's the cheapest way to get a working and supported version of Microsoft Word? A friend of his is using an old version and is about to lose it due to Windows updates. Well, Alistair, there's a few ways that you can do this. One is by buying a copy of the standalone version or perpetual version, as Microsoft call it, of Office 2019. You'll get one license which allows you to install Office on one computer. That's one PC or one Mac and it includes Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook. Does it not include Access? I don't think. No, it doesn't. I don't think it does include Access. Wow, that's bad. Yeah, I can uh, I can check it.
1: Some I know a while back, there used to be different versions of the standalone version, and some only had Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. Uh, some had Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Outlook. And I know Access is one of the sort of high-end apps, but Surely now there's only one standalone version and it would make no sense not to have access. Because if that were true, you wouldn't be able to buy access standalone.
0: Yeah, the home and uh, the home edition. Classic 2019 versions of Word, Excel, PowerPoint and Outlook. (gasps) Oh,
1: no access.
0: No access, no publisher.
1: I think, would it be a spoiler to say this isn't going to end well for the standalone version?
0: Mm, No, it's... I think you're right. Just we looking into my crystal ball, but do carry on, dear. We all know where we're heading, don't we? We do. Um, yeah, from from a cost point of view, um, it'll cost you, from Microsoft, that'll cost you £250, approximately. That's, that's UK prices. Everything I quote today uh, will be UK prices, because um, I'm guessing if, if it's Alistair's friend is in, in New Zealand, I could be wrong. Um, but I'm sure you can do the conversions. Um, on Amazon it'll cost you about £200, so it's usually a little bit cheaper on Amazon. But it is a one-time payment. And based on what's happened in the past, there won't be another major release of Office until 2022. And even then, you might not have to upgrade. So chances are that your version of Office 2019 will still work and will still be supported. So making an assumption that you buy Office 2019 today for £200 and you keep it for five years, and making an assumption that you don't upgrade until 2025 and we're two-thirds of the way through 2019, that would work out at about £40 per year. Another option is Office 365, which is a subscription service from Microsoft. And the main benefit is the monthly updates. Not just bug fixes, but new features are added regularly. Now, obviously, it depends on your usage and your requirements. But a lot of these features are actually worth having. They add value to the applications. And just to give you a few examples, there are regularly new functions and new charts in Excel. Uh, They brought in at mentions in Outlook where you can at mention somebody in the body of the the email and it automatically adds their name into the to field. Um, There was recently an updated look to the ribbon. There's improved proofing tools. There's new features for pen users if you've got a surface. So it is worth having a lot of those features. You do need to be aware with Office 2019, i.e. the standalone version, that it is actually a point-in-time snapshot of the features and functionality that were available to Office 365 users in March 2018. And yes, I did say 2018, not March 2019. What I mean is any functionality that Microsoft has added to the Office apps since March 2018 is not available to Office 2019 users, people who've bought that standalone version. So actually, when Microsoft released Office 2019 in September 2018, it was already six months out of date compared to what Office 365 users have. And today, it's 18 months out of date. I think it's Microsoft's way of pushing you towards an Office 365 subscription. Microsoft will offer a variety of options. So in terms of what you pay and what you get, it depends on which Office 365 package you buy. There's packages for home users, for students, for businesses. I'm not going to go through every pricing option, but just to give you an idea. If you went for the Office 365 Personal Edition. It'll cost you £60 a year from Microsoft, a little bit cheaper from Amazon, and you get the full versions of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, and you also get, coming back to your point, Publisher and Access. Better deal. Now, obviously, those last two are just on uh, on PC because they're not available for Mac. But you also get one terabyte of storage on OneDrive and 60 minutes of Skype calls per month. Now you can install Office on as many computers or devices as you like, but you can only be signed into Office with your Microsoft account on up to five devices at any time. You actually need to be signed in, otherwise the functionality is very, very limited. Basically, it's read only. So that's the, that's the personal edition. The home edition, which is 80 pounds a year from Microsoft. Again, it is cheaper from Amazon. And that's the version that we have. And you get the full versions of the same applications, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Publisher, and Access. And a single subscription allows six people, each with a different email address or Microsoft account, to be signed into Office on five devices at a time. So, as an example, I'm currently signed into Office with my Microsoft account on my Surface, on a Windows virtual machine on my Mac, on my Mac itself, and on my Windows laptop, although that hasn't actually been turned on in months. But it's still, as far as Microsoft are concerned, signed in. So, I could add Elaine as a second user with a different email address to my account, and she could sign into Office on five devices using her Microsoft account. In addition to the office installations, each person gets not only that, but also each user gets 60 minutes of Skype calls per month and one terabyte of OneDrive space. So even if you don't want to share your subscription with others, buying the home edition gives you the option to get yourself six terabytes of OneDrive space. Admittedly, you would need six Microsofts accounts and six email addresses to do it. The third option is the Microsoft Office Home Use Programme, or HUP, as it's often called. And this programme has been running for many years. It allows employees of qualifying organisations to buy their own copy of Office at a heavily discounted price. And from memory, that price was £10 in the UK. The qualification is that the organisation must participate in Microsoft's software assurance programme, which offers companies discounts for volume on office licences. Now, earlier this year, Microsoft announced a number of changes to the programme. The biggest was that they extended the offer to include the home and personal editions of Office 365. So if you work for a company that participates in the Software Assurance programme, you can get 30% discount on the cost of these packages. The discount continues even after you leave the qualifying uh, employment. In the past, if you left the company, it meant you were supposed to stop using the uh, HUP office software or if the organization stopped paying for the software assurance, they had to tell their staff to stop using HUP office software, though this wasn't actually enforced. Another change is that home use program is linked to your personal Microsoft account, not a work email address. And that means if you already have an Office 365 home or Office 365 uh, personal uh, account, you can extend your current Office 365 plan with a home-use program discounted year. And the final change, which was only announced last month, is that the standalone version of Office is no longer available as part of the home-use program. So as we said before, you, you can see where Microsoft are going. And there we have it, three ways to buy Microsoft Office. Hopefully, that helps anyone who's looking to get a good deal on Office licenses.
1: I think the easiest way by far gives you the most flexibility, would give you the most storage, and the price difference is pennies. Just go for the Office 365 home subscription. But I would say I would add to that, if you do it, if you just go to the website and fill in the form and, and pay, you will probably pay around 80 a year. Where from Amazon, yeah. I usually get it for about 47 to 49 There always is, or there always has been in the last five years, because I've bought them every year Um, during the Black Friday sales on Amazon. And also they do uh, Advent sales in December. You can usually pick up a box which has a redemption code in it for about £47. So you will save on that another £30. You can add to, you know, so let's say I, I go mad and I buy three of these boxes with redemption codes in, you are supposed to be able to add up to six years worth of redemption codes to your account. I've never actually done more than one at a time, but you are supposed to be able to do it. I know people who have. I don't bother because I'm probably thinking next year. I might even get it cheaper still, but it also insulates you against updates to the pricing, doesn't it? So if you buy six of these boxes and you get six redemption codes and you apply it, you'll be fine for six years. And for not much more, with your thirty pounds off than you would pay for the full version, you could get five years worth, and have change from the two hundred and fifty pound standalone version. Definitely worth doing. Definitely, I, it, it's the way to go. I, i mean, I'm not keen on subscriptions, am I? As we all know, but, and I didn't have Office, and I didn't use Office from getting a Mac in twenty in two thousand and six to when did we go get Office three sixty five? About five years ago. Yeah, I think so. I did not use Office. If somebody said to me, you know, you need to have Office, not happening. You'll have to give it me in a different format. Um, but I took the plunge with it, mainly for the storage. They did used to have, which made it a complete no-brainer, unlimited OneDrive space, which they then had to go back on because obviously some people abused it. Um, That was when I went for it. But, you know, it's still a decent amount of storage and it gives me flexibility in terms of I now have the Office apps if I actually need them. But my usage mainly goes Word, not bothered. PowerPoint, in an emergency. Outlook, you must be kidding. Publisher only works on Windows. Access only works on Windows, which leaves Excel. And my usage of Excel, usually just expletives, isn't it? And then I hand it over to you. Yes, that's a... How sums it up. I'm good with spreadsheets, but I use Google Sheets. Mm. Every time I come to Excel, I find something that I think it doesn't do, that I then set about programming it to do, that you walk through the door and says you do know if you just click that button. So It, it exasperates me, so I'll leave it to you.
0: Now, you have a sneak peek at something we're covering next time.
1: <gasps> I do. A challenge from Jane. No, not staying awake. Uh, we're on it, Jane. It's all to do with optimising storage. We'll be sharing what we do with all of our tech to get the best out of it. Uh, in terms of drive space. So what do you lovely Mac biters do? External drives, cloud storage. Do you have apps to optimise your drive space? Let us know. We'll share your very best tips along with ours next time. We've got a whole range of tips, haven't we?
0: We certainly have.
1: Can I just say tips
0: equals solutions to annoyances? Very well put. On to events. There's an Apple event this week. Potentially new iPhones. Or, as I like to call it, potentially bankruptcy. Mm, More importantly, there'll be a MapBytes Live covering the event. So do join us to share the games demos. uh, Sorry, wrong script. Please,
1: no more games demos.
0: Or streaming service demos. Or subscriptions. That's 90% of the keynote you're not
1: interested in then. Do you know, I don't really mind what they do. I'll be far too
0: busy having a fabulous time with the MacBiters. See you there, folks. We'll be live from 5pm UK time on Tuesday, the 10th September. Yes, that's a full 60 minutes before the start time of the keynote.
1: To give us enough time to enjoy the great day before Apple piddle on our parade.
0: There's a very special episode of After Hours happening live on YouTube on Saturday night, the 14th of September at 9pm UK time. Want to share why it's special? Oh, go on then. I'll be showing how I'm
1: intending to bend time using a special feature of YouTube. It's all a bit jeopardous right now, but with the wind in the right direction and a stick of dynamite, I'm hoping to pull off a trick as magical as David Copperfield back in the day. So don't miss it, as Mike says, Saturday night, 14th of September,
0: 9pm. Well, that's it for this episode of MapBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, your comments and your queries by email to MatBytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles.
2: And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytes
0: So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Is that addressed to you?
2: It most certainly is. What is it? I have no idea. You didn't order anything? No, well, only the foghorn for Jane. Oh, and the earplugs for Mr. Jane. Well, are you going to open it then? Give me a chance, woman. There's a note on the top. It's from Otis. Isn't he still in Rome? He is, but that's not public knowledge. What does he say? He says he's sent us a game to play. Cool, what's the game? Otis says it's called Vatican Roulette. You can stop right there, boy. Step away from the box right now.